Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. We now turn to the impact that California's extreme weather conditions are having across the state from strain on our power grid to out-of-control wildfires. Governor Gavin Newsom has declared a statewide emergency to deal with the fires that he says have, quote, exacerbated, been exacerbated by the effects of the historic West Coast heat wave and sustained high winds. Joining me now is KQED's Dan Brecky, who's been following both the outages and the fires. Dan, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning. So, Dan, of course, the fires have been burning near me in Napa County, as well as Sonoma and Solano, with it moving into Vacaville last night, evacuations very early this morning. Can you talk about what's happening there? Yeah, it's really a perfect storm. Uh, This began with uh, the uh, weather we saw on Sunday morning, uh, igniting lightning fires in in many remote locations. Uh, Some of that uh, happened on, on Monday. Uh, the the weather we had, the, the thunderstorms were not very wet, but they were very intense at times. And so this fire uh, that uh, started near the Hennessy, Lake Hennessy, uh, sort of north of Napa um, and uh, east of the Napa Valley, uh, really blew up very, very quickly and became something that uh, could not be controlled. And then last night, what happened was that, you know, was burning from near Lake Hennessy, kind of near Lake Berryessa, to the southeast toward Fairfield and and, uh, Vacaville. And it just began racing uh, uh, much faster than anybody anticipated. And so it reached the outskirts of uh, Vacaville. Actually, there's a a beautiful road up there called Pleasant Valley Road. you know, several rural subdivisions there uh, were were affected by this. And uh, the emergency responders, police and fire had everything they could do to get people out of there before uh, there was a real tragedy. Uh, We understand that there were were some people who were injured up there, uh, possibly with burns. We've heard about injuries and also dozens of structures burned as well. And you were talking about sort of the the situation, the circumstances, this perfect storm. How is this perfect storm complicating firefighting efforts? Well, we just have so many fires in so many places. So this um, so-called LNU lightning complex actually stretches from a couple of rather small sounding fires on the Sonoma County coast. And then there are fires in in, uh, Napa and Solano County now. It's just a huge uh, area. And but because there are big fires burning elsewhere, so on the eastern flank of the, the Central Bay Area, in eastern Contra Costa and Alameda County, stretching to, into Santa Clara County and out into the Valley County, San Joaquin and San, Stanislaus, there's a very large fire and complex of fires 
more than 20 blazes in all that are believed to be lightning started, and they've burned more than 80,000 acres. So uh, you have that. And then out on the, in the peninsula and down into Santa Cruz County, um, you have a, uh, another complex of fires, more than 20 fires, uh, some very uh, large, dangerous fires that have forced evacuation. So the picture is we've got dozens of fires and we've got a limited number of firefighters and the weather. The weather is just awful for trying to, to get a handle on this. The conditions are brutally hot and the uh, uh, winds are unpredictable and they're supposed to kick up today. And so this is a, a recipe for um, a long, a, a very long fire siege, I, I'm afraid. Yes, and uh, as you mentioned, people are, people have been, you know, basically faced with evacuation orders all the way down the peninsula here. And I'm assuming, Dan, that, you know, just a couple of these fires have any containment at all. There's, uh, I believe, 5% containment uh, estimated on the LNU complex fire. That's the one in the North Bay counties, uh, Solano, Napa, and Sonoma. I, I honestly can't tell you where that containment is. Um, like I said, I, the, the number of firefighters for this, the scale of some of these fires is actually very small. We're seeing reports of, you know, about 500 or so fi firefighters assigned to these incidents. Now, th those numbers are going to grow, but then the larger picture is there are fires burning elsewhere in the state and in the West that are all competing for resources here. Um, the fires that get close to populated areas like we have in the North Bay and in the peninsula are going to uh, get priority here. The fires burning in the East Bay are mostly in very remote, rugged country that most of us never see or even guess that's there. And, and probably those are going to burn for a while before uh, there, there's a, a big force of firefighters assigned there. Yes. And already in Southern California, we've had big fires there that uh, firefighters have been dealing with as well. The Apple Fire, the Lake Fire now. So, so much going on. We're talking with KQED's Dan Brecky, an editor and reporter for us. We're talking about the wildfires, the extreme weather conditions, and the impact that they're having on our state. I'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation with questions about how the extreme weather conditions are affecting you, either with regard to wildfires, with the power outages that have occurred over the weekend and have been, you know, essentially threatened, though we've staved them off for the last couple of days. Uh, and uh, just the fact that right now we are trying to deal with all of this amid a pandemic. The number to call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can you can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. We'll have more talk about the impact of California's extreme weather on fires and also on our energy supply after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum.
This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. I'm talking with Dan Brecky, editor and reporter for KQED News. And also with us now is Severin Bornstein, professor at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business and a faculty director of the Energy Institute at Haas. He's also a member of the Board of Governors of the California Independent System Operator. We're going to be talking about California's energy supply and the rolling blackouts. And Dan, just quickly, if you could just catch us up on what happened last night. I mean, we were able to avoid another round of rolling rolling blackouts, thanks in part to power conservation efforts. But when did Cal ISO call off the emergency declaration and why? What happened? Well, it was about 8 p.m. when they finally uh, called off uh, what they call a stage two emergency, which is basically a notice that uh, we could see uh, 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 an even higher level of emergency and then uh, immediate uh, use of rotating outages to try to manage load on the grid. And uh, so for two nights in a row, as you mentioned, we've had a cliffhanger. Um, it's looked like, um, you know, the California independent system operator might uh, run out of reserve generating capacity. They need to have to stand by in case there are some unintended blackouts that could touch off a, an uncontrolled series of outages in the grid. And um, they are crediting for both nights um, the really very uh, – popular or the very widespread response of, uh, of customers to calls for conservation. Um, basically, um, you know, last night they were praising the public for, for stepping up and uh, cutting power use and allowing the, the grid to, to remain uh, whole during this whole incident. And um, the other thing I, I just want to note is on both nights, um, there, there was, I mean, this is partly, it's just a cyclical thing that you may see on a daily basis, but also, you know, wind power came to the rescue, uh, to a certain extent, there was a, a, a pretty good surge of wind power, mostly coming, uh, look like from, um, the Mojave, uh, to uh, wind fields. And, and that provided enough power to maybe, uh, keep that margin that, that, uh, Cal ISO needed to keep the grid, grid, uh, safe. Of course, though, over the weekend, we were not able to avoid those blackouts. And one of the biggest concerns and criticisms was that there was really no warning that they were coming. Severin Borenstein, can you talk about, I mean, why it came to this? This is the first time that we've had this since 2001. That's right. Um, the system was very tight. And the way this works is the California ISO notifies the utilities uh, who are actually providing the power to customers that they might have to reduce how much power they're taking off the grid. And they were aware of that. Uh, and I think anybody paying attention knew in the industry knew that it was going to be tight. What happened, though, is that on Friday, uh, the utility, the system lost a generator on very short notice of about a 500 megawatt generator, which is a very big generator. And as a result, uh, the California ISO had to quickly call and say, you need to reduce now. And that was, a, that, that was not good communication. They really did not give enough heads up that we were that close, that if something tripped off, we were going to have to go to outages. On Saturday, they did a better job and uh, let everyone know that things were very tight. The outage on Saturday, which was smaller, uh, occurred because actually uh, the opposite of the last couple of days, wind power actually suddenly declined. And we lost about a thousand megawatts of wind power over the course of half an hour. 
And, you know, that's the problem with wind and solar. They're great resources. They're very cheap these days, and they're green, but they happen when nature decides they're going to happen. And so sometimes nature decides that it's not going to uh, uh, blow the wind, and that's what happened on Saturday. Which is why we're also seeing critics of green energy jumping on this to say that it's really this move to renewables that will lead to this kind of thing. I mean, even the president was tweeting that if the Democratic Party takes over, the rest of the country will be stuck with these kinds of blackouts as a result of being more dependent on renewable energy. What do you say to that? I mean, because it sounds like you're describing a management issue. Yeah, I think that it's not a long-run issue with renewables at all. I think we can certainly manage this problem. We do have to take more seriously than we have in the past the constraints on renewable energy and the fact that uh, we need it in exactly the time when we need it. And if it's not going to reliably be there, we need to make sure we have a backup plan, which could be storage. It could be buying more imports from other parts of the West, which uh, I think that we're going to do when we can, but it's, there's been less available. And it can also be demand response because we can avoid these blackouts the way we have on Monday and Tuesday, not by anyone turning their air conditioning off or sweltering or being in danger, but by everyone making slight adjustments, certainly not running your washer or dryer or dishwasher, but also changing your thermostat setting maybe even a few degrees if changing from 74 to 75 to 77 makes a huge difference an important thing to understand is california on a typical summer day has a load of around 30,000 megawatts and on a super bad day has a load about 50,000 and that difference is all cooling so if we can make a small change in how much cooling we're doing we can make all of this work and we can make it, all of it work with renewables. Uh, so I don't think the criticism of renewables is valid at all. I think that we just need to do better planning to accommodate the renewables. Well, let me go to Anthony in San Jose. Hi, Anthony. Join us. Yes, uh, I, I, I want to bring up the point that what we're dealing with essentially is a, a power shortage. Uh, it doesn't matter why it occurs. I mean, the demand for electric, uh, air conditioning or whatever. But uh, the fact is that renewables, and I love them, um, is uh, they're not reliable. They're not there 24-7. And the Bay Area currently has a, a PGE-owned power plant, Diablo Canyon Nuclear Station, that provides about 24% of the Bay Area's power, and it does it 24-7. Whether or not the wind blows or the sun doesn't shine, it doesn't matter. And PG&E is scheduled to close that plant down in 2024. What are we going to do for all of that 24% of power that we're currently using from Diablo Canyon? Anthony, thanks. I mean, he has a point, Severin Bornstein, in terms of if we're not planning very well for something like this, um, you know, are we planning well for Diablo Canyon? Going offline. Well, just to correct, Diablo Canyon provides about 4% of the capacity on the grid. So it's, it's not that big, but yes, it is definitely an issue. Um, nuclear power is expensive. Uh, even keeping it running after you've built it is expensive, which is why the San Onofre plant got shut down. Um, it, it potentially could play a role, but uh, the the regulators and the company decided that the cost of keeping it going just did not justify 
uh, the investment that it would need to go forward. Now, I think we can do fine without Diablo. Um, there is going to, I'm sure, be a discussion of should we extend Diablo. But there are a lot of other alternatives to keeping the system running with um, uh, renewables. And I have to point out, these outages certainly were not good things. But compared to the public safety power shutoffs that we had last fall, which are caused by climate change, uh, these, are, these were much, much smaller. We have to be addressing climate change. And to do that, I think we're going to have to rely much more heavily on renewables. Nuclear power is another alternative, but the current nuclear power technology is just massively expensive. And the industry said, oh, no, we can do much better. And they tried to build plants in South Carolina and Georgia, and one of them just got shut down before it ever got, was open. And the other one is turning out to be a massively expensive boondoggle. It may be that the next generation of nuclear power is going to be better and cheaper and safer, but we're not there yet on that. I completely agree with you that these were much smaller in in scale and potentially impact than the public safety power shutoffs that we saw last year, which in some cases lasted days. Uh, but uh, at the same time, any kind of power shutoff, especially during record high temperatures, as well as during wildfires, can really complicate communication issues as well during uh, during power outages. Let me go to Dave in Humboldt County. Hi, Dave. Join us. Hi. Thanks for the show and for taking my call. Um, this is not the reason that I called, but as long as the discussion is going in this direction, I'll say very briefly that my son just recently took a job with PG&E to help them transition um, towards renewable um, energy sources. And I can't speak to those details, but I can guarantee you from what he's shared with me that PG&E is putting a very large and good faith effort into uh, making that work. Um, but the reason why I called is uh, because of the wildfire discussion. I've been a wildland firefighter since 1981 and more recently have transitioned into wildfire safety consulting and analysis. And I'd like to take this opportunity <clears throat> excuse me, to point out that the single biggest thing that individual people can do to protect themselves is to harden their homes so that they're less likely to ignite in the first place. The vast majority of homes that ignite in wildfires do not come from a wall of flames. It comes from wind-blown embers that land in vulnerable areas. And it's not rocket science. UC Extension has a fabulous paper. If you Google UC Extension and fire-hardened homes, you should be able to get it quite easily. And some of the things you could do are expensive. Some of them are uh, don't cost anything and are really simple to do. Well, and it makes all the difference in the world. Well, Dave, thanks so much for the tip and the resource. The listener writes, my daughter and fiancé were evacuated last night just south of Pescadero. They saw the fire coming over a ridge as they contemplated next steps. Helicopters came over with loudspeakers telling them to leave. Oh, that's so frightening. Namiko writes, can you please report on the 13-4 fire burning in West Sonoma County? Dan, do you have any insight on that one? You know, I, I have to look at my list, but um, the, there are two fires that I know of in, um, in Sonoma County, and the one I believe uh, Namiko is referring to is burning uh, west of Healdsburg and the coast. It was 
you know, I, I'm a little suspect about this acreage total. It was re report. It's been reported at 500 acres. It sounds like it's bigger, um, and um, you know, there there are evacuations in the area, and like all the rest of these fires, they're virtually zero percent contained. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm sorry, at a moment's notice, that's all I've got on that. Well, this listener writes, I'm in Livermore and the air quality has cycled in and out of the unhealthy range for days due to the smoke. I keep hearing that the planned outages have been avoided, but I've lost power three out of the last four days. It would be nice if some of our utility charges went to upgrading of equipment rather than PG&E's wall of lawyers. I too, Dan, actually had about a two hour power outage here in Napa. And then in San Jose, there was a power outage as well, though I guess this was not a result of Cal ISO calling for a blackout. This was something that PG&E implemented for other reasons. Well, PG&E has been yeah. having a hard time. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Did I, you want I was to just going to say, yeah, go ahead, please. Um, so, you know, in this high heat, a lot of things happen, not with the high voltage grid, but in the local distribution areas as well. Uh, and transformers can blow or trees can fall on uh, lines. And so they, I, of course, have heard a lot about people's outages, and the vast majority of them are not related to the, the system and running out of energy, but to the lines in the local areas, for some reason, not uh, working. Well, and I guess that leads me to my next question, which is the relationship between ISO, PG&E, and other power providers and the California Public Utilities Commission, because right now there's an investigation that the governor has called for to try to understand what happened, you know, from Friday on. Can you just explain that relationship to us, Severin Borenstein, just so that we can understand maybe who is accountable here? Yeah, so the California ISO is the grid operator. It doesn't determine how much capacity gets built or who builds it. Oh, and it doesn't determine anything about retail rates. Uh, that's determined at the state level, mostly at the CPUC, in conjunction with the utilities. And not just the one PG&E and Southern California Edison, San Diego Gas and Electric, but also the municipals and also the community choice aggregators. Because those CCAs are also responsible for procuring the resources that will be needed in these times. The, I think that the process by which we've done resource adequacy planning, and by the way, there's some open controversies about whether the CPUC has authority over those CCAs, but the process by which we've done resource adequacy planning has really been flawed and hasn't taken seriously the constraint that we face when we use a lot of wind and solar. My view is we can overcome those constraints, but only if we really take them seriously and we decide we're going to, hour by hour, minute by minute, look at how much solar and wind can provide, what the risk is that it won't provide, and make backup plans. And by the way, we've done this before renewables because those fossil fuel plants sometimes go offline too. And in fact, one of the units at Diablo was offline last week. So this can happen with any sort of plant, and we need to have backup plans in order to make sure we still have reliable electricity. Yes, we really do need those backup plans, Dan Brecky, because have you heard anything about any unfortunate impacts as a result of the power outages, especially on the medically vulnerable? 
You know, I have not. Um, those reports uh, amid everything else uh, that's going on have, have been slow to filter through. Anecdotally, uh, I know that uh, Severin Bornstein heard this the other day, too. Uh, we've heard from uh, consumers. Uh, for instance, there was somebody who called into the uh, Cal ISO Board of Governors meeting uh, from the Coachella Valley the other day and uh, was complaining about his uh, air conditioning being turned off uh, as part of a a smart air conditioning kind of uh, discount program that uh, Southern California Edison is is running, and and there are you know so he was complaining about his uh, AC going off when it's 120 outside. The, the the relevant point there is there are a lot of people there who actually because it is so hot are suffering if their power goes off. Well, this is no right. Every- sorry, Severin Bornstein. That, you know we do have power outages. Um, Every year, most people have a power outage due to the local distribution lines, and that is where the vast majority of the outages come from, including the one that uh, this customer was talking about. Uh, they Occasionally, and the last time was 20 years ago, we have outages because the whole system just doesn't have enough electricity. But that's not the main reason most people are having outages. Well, yeah, and, and just, I'm sorry to interrupt. But, that's yeah, okay, Dan and just to uh, you know, back up that point. I mean, on Sunday morning, if you checked uh, the city list from PG&E of all the outages they had, they had about a hundred thousand customers out in their service territory, and big blocks in, in places like uh, Hayward and San Jose and San Mateo County. Well, we just have 30 seconds, Severin Bornstein, but this listener says everyone ignores that Diablo Canyon is coupled with a huge storage system in the Sierra. How can we not figure out how to store power from wind and solar? 30 seconds on this. We, we are doing that, and we, there's talk of building more pump storage where you pump water uphill. Um, it's not cheap, and it also has some real environmental consequences. So you get a lot of environmental pushback when you start talking about building new lakes in order to store water. So nothing simple when it comes to storage. All of these technologies are evolving, uh, and I think we will get better at them over the next decade. Well, Pete writes, glad to hear the guest naming this as a management problem, not a problem with wind and solar. But it is something that we really do have to improve, Dan Brecky, because this heat wave will go on at least through tonight. It will. It's another cliffhanger today. Well, so conserved today and tonight, Dan Brecky of KQED, Severin Bornstein of UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business and on the Board of Governors of the California Independent System Operator. Thanks to you both for talking with us today. Thanks to Susan Britton and Ariana Prail who produced today's segments. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.